Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Drummer Podcast. Our special guest today is the one and only Earl Young. Hello, Earl. What's happening, Billy? Burn, baby, burn. I'm here. It is so good to see you, man. Look at those, look at those records. Look at that wall. Oh my God. God bless you. My whole life is right here. My, my whole life, man, from birth up to here. This is this is the drum wallpaper. That is like every every musician's dream. I mean, to get one record. Is is an honor, but my God, look at that wall! Yeah, I got a, I got about I got about I guess it's about fifty, about fifty gold and platinum, you know. And over here is my Hall of Fame, my my Hall of Fame, which I take pride of, you know. Yep. And um, all all well deserved, all all well deserved. Is that the kit that you used on a lot of the recordings? It is. Yes, it is. This is wow. This isn't. This is this is the second one they built. Sigma Sound built a, a set just for me, you know, and then I used this one and I used that one. But uh, back in the studio, uh, Joe Taja would set up everything automatically for me. I mean, he was all the foot, because back then we had the speed, remember the speed king foot pedals? Yep. I got both. I got both of the original Speed Kings, man. He had the all them babies up before <laughs> before you played, and uh, Joe Taja had had everything for me. All I had to do was just walk in with my my sticks, sit down, and play. I mean, he knew me so well. Man, Joe Joe was a genius. I mean, he he was a an, an innovator back in the day um, with all that studio. I mean, he invented a lot of. Uh, outboard gear and, and equipment right well you know what we were like we were like guinea pig i would I say guinea pig because he learned from us we worked in the studio like at least every other day we was recording something so he was learning about us as we learned about him so he learned how to adjust to my plan you know and he used to always get mad at me because i have a habit when i play I play with the I play with the back, the back of the stick, with the rim, you know, because I like a big fat sound. And he used to hate that because he used, you know, because it used to used to used to sound, you know, hard. In it, but he adjusted to it. So what we did, we took and put a piece of cardboard around a snare drum. And so, you know, as high as uh, the hi-hat, well, we call it the sock symbol back then, but it's the, the hi-hat, so it didn't bleed. I mean, we did all kind of stuff that nobody did in the studio before, just to make that sound. I mean, I had a mic on the top, I had a mic on the bottom, of every drum had a mic on top and the bottom. The symbols too, and nobody recorded like that. Right, right, yeah, no, and, and what? How old? How old are you back at this period? How old are you at this time? Right now, I am a young eighty-one man. No, 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 I know that, but I mean back then. How old were you when you got into the studio with Joe and and you started all this? Oh, when I got into this, we you know what I was in the studio before before Sigma. I was in the studio uh, back with Barbara Mason back with. Uh, 1965, before Gamble even uh, got started. So I, I was been, I came in. Let's, I have to go back with Virtue because Virtues is, is is where Gamble came in at. 1965, we did Barbara Mason and um, uh, Johnny C. Blue Blue down Broadway, and Gamble was like, you know, watching things. So then Gamble came in. Then Gamble started his thing with the uh, uh, 
Expressway to My Heart was his first record. I didn't play on that because Carl Chambers was a drummer then. So Carl, and that was like, I guess like 60, 68, somewhere in that 60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a big, that was a big song. And, and that was a white group, right? Yeah, that was his first production because Carl Chambers was a drummer then. And he played on the first hits, which was uh, Cowboys, the Girls, United. And, and that, what's it, his name is Paul Chamberlain? Paul Chambers. Paul Chambers, yeah, I think. Um, actually, he was actually Gamble's, uh, see, Gamble used to be a singer. And he had a group called the Romeos. And Tommy Bell, uh, Tommy Bell, him, and uh, Roland Chambers and Carl Chambers was his band. So he just took them into the studio with him. And that's how he got started with his own, you know, he just stopped singing and got them guys, man, went into the studio and recorded uh, his first record. Um, let's go right to the beginning. How old were you when you first discovered music? Okay, let me uh, get up to that. Let me give you a first little history of, of me or how I got into playing drums, why I did it. And yeah, well, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. Okay, well, first, first of all, I have to go about the people think that it came up easy for me, but I want people to know the fact that I was born in prison. I was born in prison, I was raised in two foster homes. And back 1940, we was known as, as colored, you know, we was, we was colored then. So it was pretty rough and hard, you know, especially for me, you know, being raised in, a, in foster homes and I didn't have a mother and father, so things were pretty rough. So what I did, I, I joined a, a, a Elks, which is the Elks, which is a parade band. And I, I learned how to blow a bugle. I could blow the taps, man, like nothing. But I wanted to play drums, but they didn't want me to play drums. But my stepfather, well, not my stepfather, but my foster father had a parade called the Knights of Pythias, which is named after a Bible phrase. And I told him I wanted to play drums. He said, no, I want you to be the leader of the, 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 the bugle corps. And I hated the bugle, man. You know, <laughs> I did it. I did it because it was my stepfather, my foster father. And, uh, and, and I learned how to play. I could still play a bugle. But then I, I automatically said, well, drums is what I'm, is my calling. So what I did, I didn't have any money. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have, I was a kid, man. I was like, 14 years old. So what I did, I went and got four phone books, four chairs, I taped phone, I taped the tape around the phone book and I put them in chairs and I got two Maxwell House coffee cans. And this is how I learned how to play drums, man. I, I, I sat down with these phone books, but you know, they don't have phone books anymore. That's outdated. But to me, that was like, that was my drums, man. And I played that. And I had another boy that was in the uh, the foster home with me, and he was he was a great drummer. He passed, he just recently passed. His name was Jack Bell, and he could he was a talented. He was their grandson, and he could play drums. He could play he could play everything. So we used to go, you know, we used to go to a theater called called the Uptown Theater. Where all the acts in Philadelphia came. I don't care who you was, and Stevie Wonder, you came to the Uptown Theater in Philly. So, so here I am. I went to the Uptown to see Pearl Bailey. And when I seen Pearl Bailey, she, she was married to Louis Belson, the drummer. Yep. And I seen this, I seen this guy up there with two bass drums. I ain't never in my life seen anybody with, and that was attracting me from watching her to him. I said, I ain't never seen somebody with two bass drums. I said, how can you play two bass drums? And I wasn't good. I mean, I wasn't really good, but I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I just wanted to play. And I ran into Norman Harris and Ronnie Baker. And Ronnie, Ronnie Baker played bass on the street and Norman was a guitar player. He learned from Roland Chambers, which was in the studio. So I, I hadn't even gotten to the studio yet. We were just playing Chillin' Circuit, which was like uh, nightclubs, little corner shops. So we played, we made, he said, look, we, we, everybody played James Brown. 
back then everybody played. If you played James Brown, you you know was you was good. Right. So I always played James Brown, man, because James Brown was the thing. When we opened up with James Brown, I had my little three-piece set, and and I got paid twelve dollars a night and a bottle of beer, man. <laughs> <laughs> people didn't care. Look, I had people that they, they didn't care nothing about the band. They throw chicken bones on you, John. And they walk up to you and, and, and they ask you, can you play old oh, 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 Mary this or old oh, yeah? I said, I don't know that song. They didn't care what you played. You just up there playing, man. So we played. We played and um, and I said, okay, this was like, I mean, this was like in the early 60s. So that was almost like, so those, you three guys were like a band then pretty much. Oh yeah, we were a band. The, the, yeah, the three of us, we've always been together way before the studio. We've always been together. But I've always had two careers. I mean, I've always had two careers, which was a singing career because I sang doo-wop along with Right. My- now, do you think, I wanted to ask you before I forget, do you think that playing the bugle helped you become a singer? No. Okay. It, 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 it just helped me want to get away from it, you know. But but I so I did, so so being a singer was natural to you. Well, well, it, it was. It, I would I wouldn't say it was natural. It was something I always wanted to do because when I when I went to the theater, I used to see these guys, man, and these guys had all. I said singers got all the women. So I said this is what I'm gonna do, man. These guys got all these girls, man. And, and I always had a, a deep voice where I could go down as low as I wanted. So I said, I can, I can sing bass. So I put it, so I had Jimmy Ellis grew up with me and we put a record out called, by the exceptions called Down by the Ocean. So maybe somebody want to pull it up online called Down by the Ocean. And that's me singing bass and Jimmy Ellis. We were teenagers. And, that and was, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, let's let people know that Jimmy is the lead singer, became the lead singer of the Tramps. Yeah, he's the lead singer of the Tramps now. So, so me and Jimmy had this little doo-wop record out. We didn't make no money. We got, we got cheated because we didn't know nothing about publishing and writers' rights. The guy gave us a t-shirt and a hamburger, put us, on, <laughs> put us up on stage, man, and we sang, we sang doo-wop, and we went around the limousine singing doo-wop. So my career was going singing and drumming at the same time. So I loved doing both of them. You know, one because it's a group where I had all these girls, man, and, and the other one because something that I always wanted to try to do. And I never, I never had no really idols. You know, I used to look at Art Blakely. I used to look at Gene Cooper, Matt Roach, you know, Lloyd Belson, Philly Joe Jones. These were my heroes back then. Not that I wanted to play like them, because I figured I could never be able to play like them because these guys would study and study and study. And I, and I never was able to, to go to no school or I never had a teacher to teach me. I was going to ask you, so you're, you're self-taught. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so what I did, I said, well, look, uh, I'm just going to play. You know, I just... I didn't want to play like nobody. I just played. So I had the ability to, to, to be a great timekeeper. I didn't read no music, but I could keep time. So people give me a gig just because my timing was so great. I mean, I could, I was like a metronome and I could, look, you put it on, I'm right there. So this was- And, a, and, you, did, and you didn't practice to a metronome, right? It was just natural. Nah, it was just natural. So, so what happened when I got into uh, um, uh, the band? Norman Harris was always been like was been like our leader. Norman was a guy. We all had we all had three of us. Me and Norman and Ronnie had three different personalities. Uh, Norman was a businessman with the suit. I was a street Cadillac guy. I was the player. Ronnie Baker was a mountain guy. When, when, when he finished, he go up in the mountain. He liked to be quiet in the mountain. He liked to adventure. So one day, we, when we got our break, was when Sam Reed, who was still alive today, a saxophone player who was, a, who was the band leader at the Uptown Theater, which is like Apollo, and, and you know, he said, look, I got a job at the Uptown Theater as a house band. And this is in Philadelphia. 
Right. This is the same theater that, as a kid, I sat and watched Louis Belson play. He said, look, I'm going to take you all in with me. I said, what? Hmm. He said, yeah, I'm going to take you in as, as the house drummer. You don't have to play because everybody got their own drummers back then, their own band. But if I need you, you have to set in if somebody, was, if somebody is missing. So I said, okay, let's, let's do it. So I took my little raggedy set of drums and put them up there. My same little love when pieced together, different color drums. And, uh, you know, I couldn't read a note. Didn't know nothing about music. I ain't never seen a music sheet in my life. So here it is. I'm, I'm sitting at the Uptown and Jackie Wilson was on the show with, with Stevie, Jackie Wilson. And they had a... The Uptown at the corner, everybody knows the bar at the corner and back of the Uptown and the people that cook food across the street. You met the Uptown, everybody knows them. So we are, during halftime, everybody goes to the bar and party up there on the corner. So Jackie Wilson, drummer, I guess he got a little intoxicated and he didn't show up. So Jackie Wilson said, Earl, you got to play for me. <laughs> said, oh my God. Here, it, it is, look, I, look, I, look, I'm coming off the street, man. But, but see, what saved me was I was a street guy. We used to have house parties with red and blue lights in the basement. And I, I played all these songs. You know, I, I, look, I was a Motown fan, man. I played Smokey Robinson, you know, and Shop Around. I knew all of the Motowns. I knew all the songs because I danced to them, you know. So I knew Jackie Wilson's song, Lonely Teardrums. You know, I knew all this. So he said, look, I said, look, I, I told him, I, you know, that I really didn't read music, but I knew, I think I could play it. So he said, look, don't worry about it. Follow me. And we played it. I was shaking like a leaf. I had the raggedy pair drums. And he went on stage, man. And, and I hit that Lonely Teardrums, you know. And I, I, I kicked the hell out of it, man. I looked, I did the best I could. And he, you know, he came back to me and said, he, he, he said, thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Earl. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. He gave me a little bonus, man. And nice. that was a, that was the start. The Uptown was the start of, of, of my career because I learned, I watched the drummers come in because they had better drummers. I won't say better, but they had great drummers in Philly. Uh, yeah, I was working in the Uptown, like um, uh, a boy named Tiki, who plays with the Power and Funkadellas. He was he was there, you know, and uh, they had a lot of good drummers from Philly uh, that played with other artists. They played with other artists. But now that that gig with Jackie Wilson was was Harrison Baker also on that, or they just oh yeah yeah we yeah, was the band yeah oh they would so that was the house so you guys were the house band. Yeah, we were the house band, but he used his his musicians because with they, you guys. You know, he, yeah, we still play. Wow. So, so you see uh, that that I love I love stories like this because circumstance. If you if you weren't there that night, who knows? To me, I was just lucky enough to feel great enough to be able to play with such a legend like him, man. You know, just to be able to to yeah. To dance on his records and then have to be up there like Louis Belson and play on the same spot behind another great artist. Yeah, that that's a that's amazing. That that's being blessed. I mean, that being in the right place at the right time. And then, so now I I, I see the whole picture as you guys really formed a band and you guys were so tight. So by the time you did get to the studio and you guys were making records, you guys really had your shit together. Oh yeah, we knew it. Look, we knew each other. Whatever somebody make a move, we knew what we we knew how to make a move. So then, from the uptown, when we got into the big league, because the uptown theater was owned by DJ, was run by DJs. Jimmy Bishop owned Barbara Mason. He had uh, Johnny C, uh, Boogaloo down Broadway. They had Nella uh, 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 Dodge bringing the tabulation, the ambassadors. So they said, look, I'm going to take the three, then we'll take the three of y'all into the studio with me and I'm, I'm going to cut some records. I said, in the studio? Wow. 
You know, I mean, this is exciting to me. I mean, I'm a guy off the street, you know, with not much education. I, I didn't have a lot of, no money and no knowledge of, of reading music. So I get into the studio. So Norman did this, say, look, Earl, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. Um, uh, whenever I nod my head, I want you, I want you to make a fill in that spot. Cause I didn't read no music. So Baby would always sit on my left and Ronnie, I mean, and Norman would sit up in front of me. Always, I don't care what studio we go to, this is how we sat always. Then we would never change our position. Now, have, have, well, the old guy, was, was those two guys in the studio already? Did they have studio experience? Uh, Norman, Norman had played, uh, you know, just around nothing, nothing really big for Cameo Park, where nothing really big. Right, but, but they had a little bit of experience. Were they older than you? I'm the oldest. Wow, okay. All right, so, all right, so now the three of you go into the studio. Yeah, we go into the studio. So Norman, Norman sat here. So I'm so we recorded Barbara Mason. So so I'm playing. I could always feel the groove. I mean, because I put my own groove to to the record, but I didn't know when to feel. So when, when I'm playing, Norman would do like this. So I would make a feel in that spot. So uh, Norm Baker would look down at my foot, and he would play off of my foot. So that would bring that would bring us a double tightness where, where we were locked in together. Once me and Baker locked in and, and Norman, that's the whole session right there. What a rhythm section, my God, unbelievable. That's, that's the whole section right there. Once the three of us locked in, everybody else, keyboards can, over, can overdub or come in. So, so that's how we did and we cut, this was at Virtue Studios at Broad and Columbia Avenue. This was the first, Big major studio in Philadelphia. So that 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 was that was called Virtue. Virtue Virtue Studios at Broad and Columbia Avenue. Everybody recorded there. It was only, only had eight tracks back then. There wasn't no twenty four or uh, yeah. <laughs> they they recorded, then double it again, then double it. You know, so we recorded Donnie C, Boogaloo Down Broadway, Brendan Tabulation, uh, Tip of My Tongue, and the Ambassador. You know, See, the disc jockeys ran everything back then. They ran the studio, they had their own label. They uh, had, and, so and, they, 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 they had everything going, so it would go from the club to the studio to the radio. To all, the radio. The singers, all the singers came in, they told them, I'll play your record if you do a show for me. So it was all connected between the studio and the artist. Right. So I made a, I made a $100 for the session. I said, Geez, I can make a hundred dollars doing this. This is what I'm going to do. I probably deserve more, but that was great. I mean, look, a hundred dollars doing something that I love to do, and and get paid for it. Because at the time, I, I didn't really have an education to be. Able, I couldn't hold. I couldn't hold a good job. You know, I, I didn't take orders very good, so I didn't have a good job. And for me to make that. In like an hour or two, to doing me, doing doing something that you love. That was that was great. That was great money. So then Gamble Gamble seen us. Gamble started well. He was starting his company up at at, at his at Cameo and Park where they had a studio over there too. So that's when him and Huff got together and they recorded. Their first record, Gamble took his band in there. See, we had our band, Gamble had his band. He had Rolling Chambers. I mean, that was a great band because he had he had Huff and uh he had Tommy Bell, which is a great producer. He had Rolling yeah. Chambers, Rolling Chambers, Carl Chambers. So they were a great band. So they went in the studio and they cut. Uh, the shooters first stuff. Cowboys. What, what was uh, was Anthony Jackson in that band? I'm not really sure. What is, I think what? I th I think I think when I interviewed Anthony because we we spoke about you because um, he did some stuff with you of course the OJ's for the love of money and stuff and he mentioned uh, Paul Chambers 
that that he did a lot of sessions with him before you. He he didn't get as as much a chance to play with you as he would have liked, but he did do some records with you. So I gotta look that up. I wonder if he was. I think that's when he was playing bass on some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, he he might have. I don't know him. I don't know him that well because because a lot of things was cut before me, like like Billy Paul stuff. You know, he, he probably played on it because. Like, yeah, yeah, he. I think he played on me and Miss, Mrs. Jones. Yeah, I didn't play on. I didn't play on it. On me. Yeah, he told me he played with you on uh, for the love of money. That was a biggie. Yeah. So uh, getting back to the first how we got into it was uh, uh, gambling. Huff had their place. Yeah, calling them when when he started up. Call calling them played on Cowboys, the Girls United, and um, that was the Intruders, right? The Intruders. But then they, they then they for some reason they stopped, and we came in and finished the Intruders, and we came in and, and played. I always loved my mama. And, wow. and and we win place the show. So everything we touch started. What about Cowboys and Indians? Uh, Cowboys and Girls is played by Call. Cowboys and Girls, okay. Yeah. But everything we touch start going, start going to go, even like Barbara Mason stuff and back then was, was hit. So they said, well, look, we're not going to break up this trio when you call one. Cause they never had to call me. All he had to do was call either Norman or Ronnie, and we go. Right. He never called me on the phone and say, "Earl, come on, it's time to go to work." You know, Norman called. Hey, look, man, let's go. And we know we're going to work. So you got you three guys were like the wrecking crew. Absolutely, absolutely. I have big respect for the wrecking crew because they because they are you know we are just like them. Yeah, because they and that's what made it work because. It, it, it was, a, a, you know, everybody was friends and they worked together well and they were experienced and, and they knew what to do together. And, and you pretty much like the, like the Wrecking Crew, you guys created that sound, what became that sound. Absolutely. So when we got uh, so so what we did when we started out, we got the hit on the, that hit on the shooters. Then the next app we brought in. We brought in uh, Joe Simon, and we did "Drown the Sea of Love," which was a big, a big gold record. So these guys were getting happy, man, because everything we was touching. Then, then we brought, then we brought in Archie Bell, and a lot of people don't know that I played Archie Bell uh, "Tighten Up" because they had Archie Bell and them had put it out first. So they say, "Oh, you didn't play on that because Archie," because they did it first on a small label. And it didn't sell. So when they got the album credits, they don't have my name on the album credits because they did it first, and and they took that as if they hit the hit. But when they came, so, so, so they redid that song. They did it first. We redid it. Oh, you yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they did it, and then you guys redid right. it again, and, and, that, and, and that and that became the hit. Right. They did it, and it didn't sell on another label, and. Uh, they came to Philly and we cut all the songs over because I got the gold albums. So what happened was they, uh, uh, when they put the album out, they put it down the credit of the one that they did. So people think that they played on it. And they didn't want, I guess they didn't want people to know that. Uh, well, they, they were a self-contained band back then, right? They were a self-contained band. Yeah. Well, that we know, we all we all know that that's what happens back then. Most of the real guy, most of the bands, only the singers were on the record, and most of the band guys were replaced. Yeah, yeah back then, uh, uh, self-contained. We didn't allow no bands to come in to record. No bands, OJ's band. No bands could ever come in and record in the studio. If you got a group, you come as an, as a singer. And your bands, not that they can't play, but the fact that it's easier to work with people that you've been used to working with all the time. Right. I, we was, I never said we were the greatest musicians in, the, in, in you know, in the universe, but we are together just like like the Motown uh, guys. So when we did Joe, we did Joe Simon, and we did. Uh, 
Archie Bell, and we moved. I mean, we kept just moving on. We just kept cutting and cutting. And the OJs came in. The OJs was our biggest group. We just cut hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after the OJs. But when my greatest experience was when Wilson Pick, when Wilson Pickett came in the studio, when they brought him in the studio, uh, which Gamble didn't bring in Pickett. When Pickett came in, Pickett first first of all, Pickett came in and said, "Put the music down. I want you to." Earl, he came over to me and said, look, this is what I want. I want you to put it right here. You know, he didn't care about no music, man. He said, I'm going to sing this song, and I want you to put it right here. Because he he dealt on feeling. He didn't care about no song. If you didn't feel it, you know, to, to him, you, you can't play. You can be the greatest drummer in the world, but if if, if you can't lay that that funk down there, you know. Yeah, it can't it can't be technical. Funk funk music and soul music can't be technical. So man, we man playing with Wilson Pickett for was a, man that was a fun thing, man, because I because because I love I love playing that kind of stuff, man. We laid that stuff down, boy. Don't let the green grass fool you, man. It came out there with a came out there with two hits. Wow. That was an experience. And then we came in with with B.B. King. B.B. King came into Philadelphia the same way. B.B. King sat right down in front of me, man, and I almost peed on myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I said, yeah. B.B. King, and he, he sat there with his guitar. He ain't kidding about no music. I mean, these old timers, man, these guys, they deal on strictly feeling. They want to feel that music. And that's how I play. I play from feeling. I don't care about no notes. I want to feel. That's why I play hard. I play hard. I'm not, a, I'm not a great guy to do solos. I'm not a solo guy because, the, you know, I never cared about doing solos. I always, right. always cared about, you know, That ball on the floor, man, because that, because that's the that's how people walk. They walk to that rhythm, man. They, 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 look, look, they don't walk like this. People walk like this, and if you can play like they walk, you can play like they dance. And that's the way BB King sat by and she said, "He said all I want for you is a groove." Okay. After I hit that, after I hit that groove, man, he said, "Damn." Man, we laid back. We laid back, man, and then just and the thing about it with us, they, I mean, no, there is no drugs. I mean, with the studio, you know, none of that drug stuff, none of that. What we do, one thing about us, man, in the studio, if one guy, if we come to work, we come to work like a job. I mean, we we just walk in there not knowing what we're gonna record that day. We don't know what we're gonna do. We could do church music. You know, we could do rock and roll. I play rock and roll. I do whatever it is, I play it. We walk in there and we play it. And if one guy is not feeling good, they don't call in somebody else. I don't care what it costs, they cancel the whole session. We didn't say, okay, okay, well, Earl's sick today. Let's call in another drummer. That has never happened with us. It yeah, because you you got you got once it was proven and you and you have to hit records, you, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's this typical saying, if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, man. That was the mat that was the magic. It's like same thing with Motown, same thing with the wrecking crew. Um, you know, Phil Spector did that same thing. He 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 used the same people because even though some people said, Oh, it was superstition, but it worked. It's like that's what the magic happened, and then it just evolved, and the ball kept rolling bigger, 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 and no stopping it. Um, you know, you guys were so tight from playing and having that experience, and then in the studio, like you said, of course they're gonna if they wanted you three guys because that was the magic, and that's you know the songs, of course, became classic songs. So. That that was one thing. The songs were going to be there. Somebody had to record those songs. So obviously they they got the right guys to 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 make those songs even greater. 
look, when we come into the studio, we we go in there knowing it's going to be a hit. I mean, you might think I'm, I, I, but we knew because because we knew how to make a hit. If you got a good, if you got a good song, you got a good rhythm section, you got a good singer, you gotta have a hit. If you got good writers, I mean, Motown is the same way. You don't go in there saying or even thinking that your song is bad. I mean, very few songs went on the shelf that we played on, you know. And and, and the thing about it is that everybody, all the musicians got good ears. Because we can we can cut a we have cut a song for four hours one song, and we going we all going to engineer in the, in the, the booth and listen. Not just the producers, we all go in and listen to it. And then, and if one of us finds something that we don't like, we do it again. And if and if it don't come out right, we'll shut the studio down. Or we'll go, we had a bar that we go to on on Eleventh uh, 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 Street. We would stop and go down to the bar and play shuffleboard and just hang out to relax, right? Clear your head. Attention. So Fresh we all go Fresh. down to the bar. We all go down to the bar and get a little drink and relax, talk and joke, you know, and play around, maybe for an hour. And then we come back to work and we try it again. And this is this is how we do. A lot of money was spent making these records. They they weren't just going to go cutting three songs in one hour. We a lot. Sometimes we play a whole day on one song. If it ain't, it, it's, it's got to be. It had to be satisfactory to everybody, not just the producers, because they ask you, uh, did you do your best on this? Or do you think you could do better? Nobody lies and say, oh, I like that. It's good enough just to get out of the studio because your reputation is at stake. We always figure because we listen to Memphis. We listen to Motown. We listen. I listen to Al Jackson and them because I got I had so much respect for Al Green and them. The stuff that they recorded, the laid back groove. I had so much respect for the, for, uh, for the Motown sound. I listen to everything that they do. I listen to the fills that the drummers made, how they did it. So when they listen to, when they put a record out, I say, okay, my next OJ record, I'm gonna top that. They put a record out, I said, okay, when I go back in there with the, with the blue notes, I'll fix them. So it was more or less a competition, not a battle, but it was a thing among, you know, among each other where you have fun, man. Say, oh man, he played some nice, some nice stuff on, on, on that last on that last song, man. Oh, so getting back to the studio. So now I ran into a wall in the studio because I was cutting so many hits that I ran into Tommy Bell. So Tommy, well, Tommy Bell, well, I had been playing with Tommy Bell before because I had I had played La La Beans, La La, and Did Not Blow Your Mind. So I had already had some gold records for, for him anyway. That was all the Delphonics, right? Delphonics. But now uh, Tommy Bell wanted to stretch out. He wanted to do some back rack kind of music. So now I had to learn how to read because People Make the World Go Round has three different signatures, time signatures. You go from four, four, two, four, three, four. Now what what song is that? People make the world go round. That's very yeah. hard song to play. Cause because cause you gotta you gotta read. I mean, most of the, the most of the uh the drummers on the gigs can play it because they heard us play it behind the singer. But when you go into the studio with no singer and you just picking up a piece of music. And you're saying, on the hi-hat, you had to read every note. If you miss one note, the whole song is dead. So I couldn't read. So Norman and, Norman and my partners took me into a room all day. And they taught me how to, how to read. They said, look, this is what you got to do. 
You don't have to read notes, but you got to learn how to read the signs. So they taught me how to how to read the intro, how to read the repeat, how to, how to do the first ending, second ending, the coda, and because uh, I never read notes, and I ain't never read a note in my life. No, so yeah, they basically it was like a, a just a guide to show you like where there was a stop or a fill. Yeah, yeah. If you learn how to read, if you learn how to read the signs, you don't have to learn how to read no notes because. Nobody's gonna write no road down, no nobody's gonna write that. Right. I mean, they, they don't write them like that. They give you the signs where you play four bars here, eight bars here, 16 bars here, repeat, go back to the first inning, repeat back. Right. And then and, and that's and that song had different time signatures, as you said. So it was a little more complicated. Yeah, I had to jump all over the page. I had to jump from the first inning B to the second inning, second inning back to the first, then go back here, then go back there. So you had to learn where where there was parts where you playing drums and where you playing the hi hat. So right. I did that. So so, but I have never went into the studio and and somebody tell me what to play. Daniel never told me what grooves to play. He just get what I did. What I used to do is this. Uh, when we go into the studio, they give me a chart basic guitar chart, which just show you the signs of where to go back and forth, how many bars. And I tell them to bring the artists in. So they would bring in the artists, the OJs. Let's say the OJs. Okay. I got my chart. So I tell them, I say, look, Huff would run, would run it down with the singer. As he runs it down, I would follow the chart. And he's singing it and he's playing it. So I know where the singer's going to break, where the song is going to go. I would mark in my own thing of where I want to put a fill in, where I want to change the groove at, and where where I and I let them play the whole thing again. I read and I follow my own chart, and, and I said, "Well, I can put a groove here. I can put a groove here." After I finish my my chart, my chart don't look like their chart. Right. Their chart is all notes. That they have to follow. Mine's is basically what the singer is going at, where he's going, and so when I when they count it off, I know exactly how this song is going to go. I know exactly where to put the feel, like zoom 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 for the love of money. So I can come up with a groove. They tell me. Well, my job is to come up with a groove. They don't say, Earl, play this groove. Right. Earl, they run it down. While they run it down, I'm putting the groove in my head because I got like a thousand different grooves I can play. I can't play fancy drums, but I can come up with a thousand different grooves because I like playing behind singers. I don't like just sitting down playing drum solos for myself or for people. I don't care how fancy you are on, on drum, how fast you are, you cannot come into a studio and take a, a, a chart and play. You cannot do it. I cannot go into the, the into a, a road with the Rolling Stones or anybody else and just sit down and play. It's, that's why I say there's no such thing as somebody saying you're the greatest drummer in the world. It is, it's not because everybody has their lane. My lane is a groove lane. I play behind singers. The Rolling Stones in them is a groove. They got records that they play over and over again for a thousand years. They know them. I don't care how old they get, they're still playing the same song. So it's, that's their lane. So you can't, drummers, you can't compare one drummer with another drummer because you don't fit in that lane. I know I can't go somewhere and, and, and do a drum solo and I'll do somebody else. That's not my lane. But they can't come into my lane and sit down and play an OJ song like I do it. So right. all drummers are different. Even a, even a drummer that's beginning to learn how to play, the guy that just learned how to play is worth watching because he can show you something that you don't know. Because everybody is, I, I, I watch a guy just beginning and he might do something. I said, oh, that's pretty nice. 
I had never seen anybody do that before. So you always learn. I'm always learning and picking up. I used to go and I used to sit in this. I sit on. I used to listen to, uh, especially Al Jackson and them, and 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 I used to love the way they play behind uh, behind the singers, man, because they got they got a sound that nobody got. Like they, they know where to put them fills to make that to, to make Al Green sound great. I mean, I mean these and 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 the, and the Motown guys, the Motown. I mean. To me, the Motown feel, sometimes they overdub their feel, I know, because you can't play a feel and keep groove like that. But they know where to put that feel at. So that's their thing. That's their sound. Right. So, and and, 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 and it cre it's, it's, creating, it's creating things. All right. So talk about creating, right, and coming up with things on the spur of the moment and everything. You, you you touched a little bit about how the way people walk because I heard that uh, even Sheila E. Jim Keltner says that they can tell how a drummer plays by the way they walk sometimes. So you what made you with that Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, which has been on record, uh, the Love You Lost, that was considered the first disco four on the floor open hi hat song. What what made that song like that day was that that just was like came out of you. Like you didn't think about it, it's like that was the groove you felt that day. How did that all come about? Well, I had been recording with the Tramps anyway, you know, back then, and and Zing with the Strings in My Heart, you know, was it wasn't like a disco song, but it was a groove. And and the Blue Notes, the Blue Notes was really like a ballad group, and and Love I Lost was a slow song at first. It wasn't a. a, a uh, it was like the love I lost. Wow. We love the love I lost. And we just go in there and say, look, man, look at man. Let, <laughs> I like me, I'm a fast song lover. I just like fast songs. I mean, I play ballads. Well, and also because you like to dance. I like to dance, man. I, I, I came up in, in, in the dance world, man, in the basement, man, with red and blue light. We dance, all we did was dance all night, cha-cha and the bummer, you know, and the bus stop, man. Right, right. Look, I said, put the groove. And I had the groove, I had a, a, a groove that I used to like to use, you know, like like the skip, I call it the script groove, like that. Right, right. I always put that in my records. You know, always with it like a signature thing. So I said, let's put it here. La, 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 la. La, la, la. They were a disco group. I mean, we made them a disco group. They were they they really are R and B and and with bad bad love and the love I lost. Where are all my friends? You know. Oh, and well, one of your greatest, um, one of the ones that you play that I mean is so. The groove, um, if you don't know me by now, I mean, talk about a ballad. That oh, that yeah. is so far behind the beat, and oh, and the feel, the feel, the feel of that song is is incredible. So I I could I, yeah they were and, and and Teddy's voice of course Teddy Pendergrass you know he, all the women loved him he sang those love songs and then so you basically made that song a disco song. And you know what? See, a lot of people don't know the drummer is what carries the song. Like, like I mean, you could take the same beat, like, if you don't know me by now, right? And you could play like a 6-8 and, and, and put it up. If you don't know me by now. Right, right, right. Instead of saying like, do. You could, so it's really up to the drummer to, to carry the feel of that song. Because you could take this the six eight beat, you know, make it a three four, or or either one, and it's the same same groove behind the song. And these are the things that that I never went to school for, but I learned how to feel a six eight and a three four is a basically, you know, after you after you. After you have played these little chitlin circuit gigs enough, <laughs> you learn all you learn all the rules. Right. I, 
I tell you the one song that got me to playing drums, the first song I ever played in a band that put me on drums was a James Brown. And when I heard there was a time, that's when I went into, into learning how to play drums. I don't know who played it, I can't say. But that was James Brown, one of his first, and they don't play that song no more. You don't hear that one. Yeah, I got, I got, I'm sure I heard it, but I got to refresh myself now. Yeah, there was a time when I used to groove, go like this. There was a time when I used to dance. Go, go wow. like this. There was a time <laughs> right there when I used to dance. It's up there, man. I mean, that that's, that song is up there. It ain't no, it ain't no slow song, boy. You got to be able to grip and back then there were no click tracks oh no they didn't look they didn't have no click tracks they didn't have there there never been a song in the studio that we ever overdubbed we had i was gonna say and no no punching in like you guys uh, no we don't punch we do it over no click tracks they didn't have a drum machine then wasn't no drum machine right right no drum machine, no click track, no overdubbing, no punching in. The drummer played for 15 minutes. If you had to play 50, like, like my album, the TSOP album, I played for like 15 minutes on, 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 uh, on songs. You know, I mean, this was one of my greatest, one of my greatest albums, man. Love is a Message. Love is a Message turned to one of the number one uh, disco songs in new york city is a national anthem and you you play uh you played on the soul train uh theme song right matter of fact i'm gonna i'm gonna i recut that again i think i'm gonna release it I'll yeah you, sh you should yeah I, I yeah I'm, I'm, I'm gonna send you a copy of it absolutely i want to ask you a question um how how did mf mfsb come about and then how did like and then, then that evolved into South Soul Orchestra because a lot of people like you got the Sound of Philadelphia, you got the MFSB, and then the South Soul. So there's three major movements in music of sound. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.